Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica. And I'm Abhishek. We are a cross-cultural couple doing life in India, exploring the lesser-known mysteries of Indian culture, interviewing fascinating figures who have chartered new territories, and sharing life as we raise our multicultural family amongst the complexities of modern Indian life. It's September, and it's still Fahrenheit in the mid-90s, up in the hundreds every single day. So that's like 35 Celsius every day. So that's pretty hot for this time of year. And monsoon is my least favorite time of year. I find that people like to cancel things last minute and I just the mud just kind of makes me a little bit crazy and you know all this so many many things that I love about living in India but monsoon season is my least favorite of the seasons. Today I want to talk about my time-tested suggestions, observations, affirmations, for people who are doing field work, who are doing NGO work. This is basically how not to lose your mind as an aid worker or an NGO worker. I guess I've been you know, in and out of India now for 13 years. I first came in 2006. I had my first couple of really tough years. At, at certain times you become so sick that you actually wonder if you're on death's door. Uh, you're not, but you feel that you've never been this sick in your life and you're just wondering what happened. Been at the point where, you know, actually did get diagnosed with some pretty long-term things or your health starts to kind of go down because of the environment you're in. So that's that's always tough when you're thousands of miles away from your family and support system. And then just the normal adjustment things of learning how to communicate, how to set your expectations, how to really set your mind frame in a place where you can understand the people, their motivations, and their ways of doing things. Going through all of that and continuing on the journey where I am now, there are some things that I wanted to share about long-term survival in a developing economy or I suppose India would classify as in some places a developed, quite developed economy, and then in some places or communities or aspects it would be continuing to be developing and surviving and living and thriving in a developing economy if you grew up. I don't want to say I was pampered, but in a Western culture where things are more convenient, things are, the systems are in place that you don't have to create every single system for your life to stay organized, stay healthy. A lot of just the basic things of life are less of a struggle in Western cultures. So if you're used to that, and then you come and live in a culture or in a subculture of a place that's less developed, you're undoubtedly going to struggle. So that's what this is about. And really, this is actually less about the, hey, wash your fruits and vegetables, with filtered water and what kind of cleanser you should use or what you know what kind of bug sprays to use conversation this is about the hard stuff this is about building resilience long term so let's dive in 
I really wanted to talk first about some affirmations, the reasons for the work that you're doing as an NGO worker, a nonprofit worker, aid worker, someone that is wanting to see impact long-term in a culture that you're working in. I just wanted to first share some advice that someone gave me recently within the last two years that really helped my perspective. This uh, person had been working in a hospital in West Africa for many years, I think somewhere between 15, 20 years, an older and wiser person. And he told me that, just remember, you are charged with an impossible task. And that really sunk, sunk deeply for me. Culture change takes longer than a lifetime in most cases. When we're looking at some of these really difficult problems to solve, some things that are cultural evils, whether that's in our own culture, in the Western culture, or a cross-cultural environment where we're living, the cultural change takes forever. All the easy problems of the world have been solved already. Those, those are the things that... <laughs> The average person can do without the perspective and education of people who are really desiring to make long-lasting cultural change. The things that probably you are trying to solve and the things that I'm trying to solve are things that most likely take longer than a lifetime. Another thing to remember, you didn't create the problems that you're trying to solve, most likely. I think a lot of people that get into this kind of work are people who have a high standard of compassion but yet also a high responsibility quotient. And you may be a person that tends to take things on yourself that you were never meant to take on. Take on responsibility or feel a strong sense of conviction and compassion for the people that you're working amongst or serving. That can really take a toll on a person. So just remember that you're not the person that created the problem. Another thing to remember is that you are just one person. I like to look back at some of the culture changers from several thousands of years ago, people who started real countercultural movements in kind of corrupt societies. So if you look at Buddha, who gave up his wealth and shared a new message with probably maybe thousands of people in his lifetime, he still lived in a relatively small geographic area. Jesus only had 12 close disciples. Another case of he impacted probably only thousands of people in his lifetime, but he made a huge difference. Buddha made a huge difference in the world. They both were culture changers. And that was also the time where every movement was a face-to-face type of interaction. So... You have to see that if you're trying to change culture or work against cultural evils or fight corruption, that the face-to-face, one-by-one system actually works really well. And nowadays we have these unrealistic standards for what movement or cultural change should look like because we have the potential to influence thousands of people through social media and online. But there is something sacred about impacting people one by one and face to face. I want to mention too the difference in standard of living when you grow up in a developed country and when you move to a developing area. 
it takes more time to do everything here. Even if you have the best help in the world and the most efficient NGO and the most efficient processes, which most of us don't, but even if you do have that, it still takes everything longer, everything longer to do, which can actually be a, a good thing. I think sometimes in the West we have too much convenience and we're too much pressing into every single moment and optimizing every moment. Give yourself that compassion and kindness because every, everything does take longer. Another point, if you're in an unstable environment, which most of us are, you might be in a place where there are terrorist attacks or you're afraid that you know a bomb could go off anytime you go to the store. Tropical diseases are a constant threat and there are daily effects of extreme pollution. You know, this this can take a toll on you. You know, depending on where you live, any of these things or all of these things could be affecting you. And so this definitely takes a toll on you and just recognize that. Another thing is to remember that the whole world is not suffering like this. There is a lot of good in the world and there's a lot of bad in the world. You're likely assigned where you are because it's a place that there's some issue that you feel you can be a part of the solution for. And just remember that that solution doesn't exist in the entire world, all over the world, every single place to the same level. Or maybe you're not even in that extreme of environment. The environment of scarcity that many of us live in often makes planning really difficult. What I mean by that, if you don't jump on an opportunity, someone else will. For example, with our son's school uniform, when it came in, we had a little sizing problem. They had sent us the wrong size. So basically, uh, with 10 phone calls back and forth to the provider, this guy was a pretty big flake. So every time I would call, oh, yes, sir, are you there? You know, did you get the uniform? Oh, yeah, yeah, I got the right size. Or I got the... And then I would go in there, the right size wasn't there. And then, oh, come at 11 a.m. I'll definitely be there. I come at 11 a.m. He's not there. And then I'm back and forth, back and forth, so many phone calls. And, you know, I'm used to that in a sense, but this guy was next level. So finally, I said, you know, sir, you need to call me when you get it because I'm not going to keep calling you and keep coming here. Otherwise, I'm going to complain to the school. So he took that seriously. And the day that the uniform came in, he called me, said, ma'am, please come and get it. And I jumped on it immediately. I knew that if I didn't go get it, right then and there (laughs) he might not be there next time I showed up the store might be closed or it might be the wrong size or some other parent might actually buy the shirt that I ordered and that's what they do he he would certainly just whoever's there right there and then gets the service I basically as soon as I got that phone call I got on my scooter and I flew over there with the money (laughs) give me that uniform now because in an environment of scarcity You have to jump on opportunities immediately. Otherwise, someone else will. Sometimes you just have to let things go. Not every problem is a problem that needs to be solved. And sometimes if you just ignore things, they go away. It's kind of like when I call down to the front desk of an Indian hotel. They usually don't send anyone until I call a second time. And sometimes, by that time, it's just better to give up, or I've fixed the problem myself, or sometimes a more pressing issue has come up that needs to be solved. For example, I might not need an extra towel because my kettle has caught on fire, (laughs) or something of that sort. With that being said, just there's a wisdom of knowing when it's time to let something slide and when not to. So moving on to what are the tips 
What are the things that can really help you? How are the ways that you can really build resilience working as an NGO worker, aid worker, or someone that's trying to make a difference in a cross-cultural environment? Number one, give yourself a freaking break. (laughs) I think a lot of people that get into this kind of work sometimes do a better job of caring for others than caring for themselves. You know, right now everyone talks about self-care and mental health days and all this, which is super important. But self-care is more than just getting a massage. This is about lifestyle change, about working hard to go to bed on time, arranging your lifestyle to eat healthy, getting yourself out of bed and going to the gym, taking care of yourself and knowing that you're worth it and that if you go, your work goes too. I've been bad about this at times. I'm currently in a situation where I haven't been to the dentist in a long time. And when I did try to go, it kind of got screwed up. The filling that I had to get fell apart. So it was like, oh great, no, it's not even worth it. (laughs) Taking care of yourself when it's really hard is, I think, important. And something that we forget a lot of times. I know it's hard when you see others around you that maybe don't have access to things like a dentist. And it can be hard to justify going yourself when it seems like such a luxury for other people. But these are things that just need to be done. Number two, have low expectations and communicate that to your boss, supervisor, or whoever you report to as an accountability structure. Like I said earlier, real cultural change takes a very long time. It's definitely going to take longer than your project term or just the crisis that you're managing. And sometimes your supervisors are not based in the field or haven't been based in a field in a really long time. And they don't remember how things are. They don't remember how daily life just takes longer. They don't remember how some people are extremely resistant to change and they have forgotten. So I think that that's really important to keep low expectations of your output and then also manage upwards and remind your boss what it's really like to be in the field. Number three, having hope for the future and thinking really long term. I think that's one of the first things to go when you first arrive or if you're relatively new working on any kind of projects where you're hoping for societal change or working in any kind of justice realm. It's really hard to see the terrible things that are happening to people and the injustice that's going on and just having hope that things will get better, things can get better. We've seen it happen many, many times throughout history where diseases were basically abolished. Different, really evil social practices were put to a stop, not just on a law level, but on a really grassroots practical level. Things can change. Society can change. But a lot of times it takes way longer than we think. And a lot of times it takes way longer than our even lifetime. Remembering that and thinking really, really long-term is super key. Tip number four, getting away regularly. It is easy to get into a bubble and think that the whole world is like this. The whole world is suffering like this, but it isn't. 
and don't feel bad about getting away, even though a lot of the people that you're working with and trying to impact or trying to serve, trying to help, maybe can't get away. But in order to be able to give what you need to give, sometimes you need to get perspective and you need to get away for a while. So don't feel guilty about getting away. Number five, the final tip, and this is probably one of the most important, is invest in people, not necessarily just in your projects. A project may end, but if people feel like they're an agenda or that they need to cooperate with you to check some box on your agenda list, they're just going to go right back to their old behavior as soon as you leave. Just think about the people that you're investing in, not just the objectives that you have for your project or maybe whatever your boss is asking you to do. You need to think about the people, build friendships, listen, and love well. And even though I said that I wasn't going to talk any practical type of tips, I do want to close with a few things that I'll tack on here at the end. A few basic things that we all should know is be aware of the heat. Don't go out when it's extremely hot. Don't go out in the middle of the day if you don't have to. I would just say just do as the locals do. You don't have to do everything the locals do, but you also don't have to do the opposite from the locals just to prove that you're tough. Another practical thing with food, eat local, eat in season, wash everything. Typically cooked, peeled, or boiled food is what you want to eat. This is Ricky stuff. One last little treat I'm going to sneak in here is a lot of parasites and amoebas don't show up in stool tests. So you probably need to do some kind of long-term parasite cleanse. And it's found actually that there are a lot of parasites in Western countries too. It's not just if you're working in a developing country, although we do have a larger variety of (laughs) parasites and amoebas. But you might want to get on some kind of a long-term parasite cleanse and you can Google it and find out or you can message me and ask which one I personally have found to be wonderful. Parasites can destroy your health pretty darn fast. So on that lovely note, stay healthy, stay positive, stay hopeful, invest in people, think long-term. Thank you for listening. If you like what we're putting out in the world, then we would love for you to review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. 